The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. When something that is supposed to be united is divided, it causes pain and suffering. When something that is supposed to be united is divided, it causes pain and suffering. My parents were married for over 30 years. Uh, I grew up in a two-parent home, had two younger sisters. Uh, I, that's, that's what I knew. But about 10 years ago, about a decade, maybe a little over or so, uh, we found out as a family that my dad was living a double life. And that caused there to be a breakup in the marriage and my mom and dad divorced about 10 years ago. And even though all of his children were adults at the time, there have been repercussions that continue to ripple out from that moment to today and that will forever ripple out in our lives as a family. No matter whether it was something that needed to happen or not, when something that is supposed to be united is divided, it causes pain and suffering. It has affected the fabric of our family and it will forever affect the fabric of our family. And almost every single one of us in this room, that's something that we can relate to, right? You have either been a part of a family that has experienced divorce, you have experienced divorce, or someone very close to you has experienced divorce and the pain and suffering that ripples out from that. Every time something that, has been, that is supposed to be united is divided, it causes pain and suffering that continues to ripple across the fabric of that which was supposed to be together. And we're not talking about divorce here this morning. And I just want to throw this to you if you are someone who is in that situation or coming out of a situation like that and say that just as what we're talking about this morning, that God redeems divisions and he heals brokenness, that he can do that for you as well, at least in your heart. And so there's hope for you in this situation. But every time that something that's supposed to be united is divided, it causes pain and it causes suffering. That's because it's a rupturing of something that's supposed to be together. Now, Meg and I went out to uh, dinner the other night and, uh, as for date night. It was kind of a fancy date night. We went and picked out paint for the new Doxa office at Lowe's. And uh, then I took her to the Mexican restaurant afterwards. So, you know, I'm romantic. And uh, as we were sitting there on the TV was the Winter Olympics, like the last, some of the last events that were going on. And speed skating was on. And the guy who ended up winning, I think he was from the Netherlands, because they're at like a, as you probably know, a speed skating powerhouse. They showed pictures of him. He had a skating accident about, a, I think it was two or three years ago. And if you were watching, 
watching, I'm sure you remember, because it showed how his leg was sliced open and it was filleted open for you to see. They said that the picture that they were, I'm sorry, they said that the, the, they said that the picture that they were showing was from months after it actually happened because they were not allowed to show you what it looked like after it happened initially. There was a rupture in this man's leg that caused a big problem. And we live in a society that is filled with ruptures that are like that. That have torn at the very flesh and the very fabric of who we are as a people. I don't have to recount to you the headlines just from the past week or two to illustrate that fact. 17 people died in a school in Florida and the immediate, almost immediate reaction was the vociferous debate of the two sides of the gun debate. Pro-guns and pro-gun uh, 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 what, what's the word is escaping? Control. The two sides, I'm sorry, the two sides, the immediate response was these two sides to square off against each other. And in this room, we would fall on different, different sides of that debate. But the point is that that should not be the response after 17 people are gunned down in a school. The, re- the response should be mourning. Our hearts should be torn with something like that happening, but instead the initial knee-jerk reaction of us as a society is because we land in a particular camp is to vilify the other side and use a tragedy as an opportunity to gain political points against the other side. But that's not the only debate that happens in. It happens in race, it happens in religion. It happens in politics, conservative or liberal. I can hardly look at Facebook these days because it is just simply a never-ending stream of either cat videos or debates. It's really not even debates about current event issues. It's just people beating up on straw men back and forth. We live in a ruptured society. And what Ephesians tells us is that that is not something that is new, that is not something that's unique to 21st century America. What Ephesians tells us is that that is the, that is the result of deeply divided and deeply ruptured human souls that result in deeply divided and deeply ruptured fabrics of society. And that's our big idea today. That Jesus came to heal those ruptures. At the very core of what Jesus came to do was he came not just to save you from your sins, but in in saving you from your sins and in saving you from an eternal damnation 
apart from him, in doing that, he was healing a division, the deepest division of the human soul. And in doing so, he provides us the deepest and greatest hope to discover unity and wholeness together as a people. Jesus came to heal our divisions. And we're going to see that in two ways this morning. We're going to see, number one, that Jesus moves or moved toward our divisions. Jesus moves toward our divisions. And secondly, Jesus heals, not just bridges our divisions. Very simple. Jesus moves toward our divisions. And secondly, Jesus heals, not just bridges our divisions. First of all, Jesus moves toward our divisions. As Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, it's one of my favorite uh, letters, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. It is, it is so packed full of, of thoughts and praises and theology and doctrine that it's hard to, to pull it all out from each other. But as he's doing that, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he, he's writing to a group of people who would, a majority would have been Gentiles. That means that by, by birth and by race, they were not members of the, uh, the Jewish family or the Jewish people who were God's chosen people up until this point in history. So if you were not a Jew by birth, you were out Outside the covenant of God. And the people who were inside the covenant considered you a less than person because God did not choose you to be a part of his covenant, his special people, the people of his own possession who he who were descendants from Abraham, who he gave the original promise to. And so he's writing to a people who by nature and by birth would be outside of the covenant people of God. And he says in verse 11, before the passage that we read, he says, I want you to remember that one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, but the people who were circumcised, that's the Jews, they called you the uncircumcision. And he says in verse 12, I want you to remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the people of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. He says, I want you to remember that you were strangers and you were aliens. You were cut off from God and his promises. But verse 13, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what he lays out from the beginning is he says, here's the deal. You, if you were not a Jew, you were separated from God. And now you who once were strangers or aliens or cut off from God and without hope, Jesus came to us and he came after you by living a perfect life, dying a death, substitutionary for us on our behalf, rising again, he can, and now sending his spirit, he came after us physically, and he comes after you and I individually. And don't you guys have that story if you're a believer here this morning? Each of us in here can give our own story of how he came after us and showed us that he came after us 2,000 years ago on the cross. Um, by living, as becoming a human being, living a perfect life, 
dying a substitutionary death for us. Each one of us has a story about how he individually came after you and me, don't we? Some of us are stories that's more dramatic. Some of us is less so. But it's no, it is no less of a miracle if he came after you as a good Christian kid or growing up in church or he came after you living in the gutter, running away from him as hard as you could. We still needed him to come after us. And each one of us has a story of how he came after us and how he has continued to come after us, right? Like a sheepdog keeping us direct, directed to his heart. You guys know that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. All of us feel that in our hearts, don't we? Don't at times, like, maybe I'm the only one that has this thought. Sometimes I'm driving down the road and I'm overcome with the thought that, you know, all these cars that are coming down the road on the other side, I could very easily just swerve over and hit them or swerve over the other side and topple off off this bridge. Like I could very easily do that. I don't want to do that, but I could very easily do like, like the ease of that happening is just like kind of overwhelming to me at sometimes. To me also comes to my, my heart to think like I could very easily this morning leave the God I love and who loves me. Except he came after me and he continues to come after me and guard my soul and keep me to him. And the next argument that Paul makes is that not only you, you were Gentiles who were far off from Christ, not only did he come after us and think about what it meant for God to become man. Like that's, it's still mind boggling. I was just uh, reading a, a theological treatise and it's like one of the most famous theologians in history. He's still struggling with trying to, to put into language the miracle of the second person that God had, the son of God becoming man. It still is mind boggling us to understand how that could actually happen. He became a human lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death. But what he goes on to say is that not only is, is that the only hope for the believer, for, for the Gentile believer, but that's only hope for the Jewish believer as well. That the Jewish believer had no hope to become a, but to, to live a perfect life under the ordinances and the rules that God gave Though they were perfect and they were good, they needed a mediator to come and make. This is, listen to this in verse 15. He abolished the law of the commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what he's saying is that both the Jew and the Gentile both needed to be reconciled to God, and that's what Jesus Christ was doing. So what that does is it puts every single human being on the face of the planet on the same plane. Jew or Gentile, black or white, old or young, American or Asian, wherever you happen to live now or to be from, no matter what your skin color may look like, no matter what your socioeconomic background is like, no matter how smart or how stupid you are, no matter how beautiful or how ugly you are, no matter where you fall on the gamut, it puts us all on the same place, the most, the most beautiful, most rich, smartest person in the world is on the same plane as me before God. We both need to be redeemed. 
And we both need to be reconciled. Every single one of us. It puts us all on the same plane. That was our hope our, and is our only hope that we would be redeemed by Jesus. But listen to what he is saying here as we are thinking about these division problems and these ruptured relationships and these how we're on different sides of the fence in terms of race and on politics and uh, all across the board. All these different divisions that we find ourselves in that we're looking over these ruptures to each other and either yelling each other or looking at each other kind of scornfully or looking at each other like suspiciously across these, these divides that divide us all. What Paul says is these divisions that we have aren't a new thing. They're a result of the hostility or the division that existed in our own heart between us and God. That the core of the the reason that we are divided as a people over any kind of line is because we are divided in our souls by nature from God. And because of that, because I was made to find my rest in God, I was made to find my sense of person and my sense of value, my sense of identity and the fact that I am God's and he is mine and he made me in his image. And I'm supposed to, by, by creation's nature, I'm supposed to be able to rest fully in in who God made me to be in such a way so that even we see in the beginning, Adam and Eve dwelt in the garden totally naked and unashamed. They had no reason to cover themselves because they could be real with who they were and who God had made them to be. That's who, how we were originally created to be. But because by nature I'm divided from God and I'm not finding my rest in him, I'm not finding my sense of identity and value and who he is and who he has made me to be. I can't find my rest there. I can't put my faith and trust in that. Therefore, I'm going to find other things to put my faith and trust in in terms of my identity and in terms of my value. And whatever that may be will cause me to build the dividing walls between me and other people. Because I'm trying to find, desperately trying to find a sense of identity and value. And by doing so, the way I build myself up and gain value is by pushing people around me lower. And we will find any kind of line to divide over in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And find a sense of identity and value. And those lines will fall in, quite honestly, the most ridiculous of places. If an alien from another cult, from another world that has never experienced sin could come here and land in our midst, how do you think it would look to them that we are divided as a people over issues of skin color? Don't you think that would look ridiculous to somebody who has never experienced sin from the outside? Because I think somebody like that would come in and they would see how different we look and how different. Because the truth is, even white people, black people, Asian people, we all look different, right? Us white people in the room, we look different from each other. We do not all look alike. It's a silly thing to try to base a sense of identity and value on uh, the way that we look as opposed to somebody else. But if we didn't divide over issues of race, we'd divide over issues of people with big noses and little noses. 
We divide over lines of curly hair and straight hair. We divide issues over people who are tall and short, and Dale and I would never be friends. We divide over those lines because they are, because they're lines of, they're fault lines. That I can say, I'm inside this fence and you're outside that fence, and so therefore I can feel better about myself. And I can lower you in my estimation. And that turns dark and insidious real quick. But the truth is that that is not just the land that those racist people out there walk in. That's the devout nature of the human heart. I looked in my refrigerator at work the other day. I don't have Megan there to remind me that we need to clear stuff out. And, um, I looked in there and it was uh, with, like fresh eyes. You know how like, you like, open the refrigerator door and you just like, don't pay any attention, but one day you open it and you're like, we live in a pigsty. And I looked in there and I was embarrassed for myself as a human being, looking at what was still left inside that refrigerator. But you know what an observation that I made was? That mold doesn't care whether it grows on lettuce or old taco meat or three-month-old turkey meat or old American sliced cheese. It will find anywhere. It is non-discriminatory about where it lands. It will find anywhere that it can flourish and it can grow. And that's where divisions happen for us. They don't just happen to have, have to happen on racial lines or generational lines or theological or political lines. They'll find any line that it can, that it can land on and it will divide us because I want to feel better about myself by feeling worse about the other people around me. But the beautiful story is that Jesus moved toward us. This is the beginning of our hope to find healing for our ruptures and our divisions. Is that when we were divided from God, Jesus moved to us. And listen to this. You can file this away for later on in the discussion in Q&A. Jesus became like us in order to unite us to God. Think of how weird that must have felt. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how it happened in his mind. But think of how weird it must have felt for God, the Son of God, to look down and see hands. Fleshly hands. Think of how weird it must have been for God to look down and see dirty feet as he walked along. He took on the likeness of us in order to unite us to God. He went through great lengths in order to do so. He wasn't just passive. God didn't just say, hey, I hope and I will empower anybody who wants to fix this sin problem with humanity. I will empower them and pay them to go and do whatever needs to be done in order to fix this problem. He actively engaged himself. He was not passive, but he was actively engaged in the answer. And it's that engagement that gives us the first hope for the ability to see true unity and true healing of our divisions. 
Jesus moved towards us and he moved toward our divisions. He moved, he went towards the division between us and God and put himself in the middle to unite us to God. And he moved towards the division between mankind. Jesus went up to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breed dogs and she was a woman, so she would have been not accounted as a true, a whole person in the terms of Jewish life. And he went to her and engaged with her and talked with her and asked her for water. He actively engaged in the racial and the gender divisions that existed even in his day. And he did so at great peril to himself. Jesus didn't consider when he sat with a, with a Samaritan woman talking. He didn't care that people around him would see him talking to a woman and think that that was inappropriate for a Jewish rabbi. And he didn't care that his disciples and whoever else may see would see that he's talking to a half-breed Samaritan. He sat and he engaged with her looked her in the eyes and treated her as a person, as a human being. And he has continued to do so through his followers ever since then. It is through Christianity and through the church that the world has actually been able to see any shimmer shining of hope, of any sort of reconciliation, any sort of healing of our divisions, it is through Christ, it is through his people, the church, that that happens and has happened. And I think it's very incredibly important in our day and age that the church reclaim the moral high ground to be the people and the place that boldly, without caring what our conservative or liberal friends may think, without caring about what our white or black or otherwise friends may think, about caring what our young, young friends or old friends will think, to actively be the people who bridges, does more than bridge those divides that divide us. And it is a part of seeing the healing that has happened between us and God overflow to heal the divisions that occur between us as people. That's the calling of the church. The great calling of the church isn't to be a people that come and just happen to sing together and listen to some guy talk and drink coffee and eat donuts and have a good time and feel better about ourselves or are able to consider ourselves that we're growing in our faith, but that we are people who, ex who express and display the growing of our faith by bridging the dividing walls that exist between us as Christians and exist in our communities. That's what he has called us to be. And it's our legacy as the church. It has always been what the church does when the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that's what God has called us to be. It's what God has called you to be and for you to do. 
And each of us has some role that we can play in it. But we all have a role. I long for the day when people walk into our gatherings, whether it's on Sunday morning or whether, and not just in our church, but I'm thinking about churches across the Grand Strand and across the country and across the world as we take this value to heart. I cannot wait for the day that somebody comes in on a Sunday morning or into one of our community groups and walks in and sees people from different cultures and different backgrounds and different ages who never otherwise would have sat together around the table laughing and learning from each other and exhibiting a beautiful unity that doesn't overlook our divisions but doesn't overlook our differences but celebrates them together as a beautiful mosaic that God is putting together for his glory and for our everlasting joy. Charles loves to tell the story because the divisions don't just happen along racial lines, though I think those are maybe the most important that we have to deal with. Charles loves to talk about how he and Justin Kramer never under any other way would have been friends together. He says that Justin Kramer would have been one of the guys dunking his head in the toilet in high school. (laughs) To be fair with Justin, he says he never would have done that, but... I didn't know him in high school, so I won't say. But I will say that I cannot imagine Charles and Justin sitting down and sharing life together under any other way except under the banner of Jesus Christ. But Charles talks about how his life is richer for having known and being in a relationship with Justin. And I've heard Justin say the same thing. You and I are missing something in our life, if all we ever see around us are people who look like we're looking in a mirror. You are missing something. You're missing a richer life. You're missing knowing more about Jesus and his creation and his people than you would otherwise. And this world is missing something. Because right now, people are sitting all across this country, staring at their Twitter feeds or Facebook feeds, watching the news. And no matter where they fall on the political or social gamut, no matter what color their skin is, some part of their mind and heart is wondering, where in the world is our hope? And the hope doesn't just come from declaring the truth of who Jesus was that we cannot be less than that, but it comes from us exhibiting who Jesus was and is today. Jesus didn't just come towards our divisions and therefore we're called to move towards our divisions as well, but Jesus, as quickly as I possibly can, Jesus heals, not just bridges our divisions. We could recount all the dozens and dozens of ways that we have tried to bridge divisions, personally or as a culture. We want to build, because the best that we can imagine is building bridges across the divisions that divide us. 
The problem is those divisions continue, those divisions always prove themselves to be bigger than the bridges that are trying to span it. And even when those, we have those bridges in place, they only connect these two sort of continents together in one place. We don't want to just bridge them together so we can go back and forth and like come over and feel better about ourselves because I'm hanging out with somebody who looks different than I do or is from a different background than I am and then go back to my comfortable place. We want to see something that will actually heal those divisions and bring them together. The bridges that we try to build ourselves, sometimes we do so by trying to ignore our differences, right? So, like, it's kind of become passe now to say it, thankfully, but there was a while when we said, hey, I'm colorblind, I don't see color, right? And that's just being, I mean, that's just silly, really. Of course there's color. The, 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 the fact that there, for us to say that we have to be colorblind, colorblind and not see color is actually disrespectful for people who are not like us. Because it's saying to see color is, to, to be, for, is for that to be something that divides us or makes somebody less than or different than me. Ignoring differences won't, bridge, won't heal the, the divisions. We can sometimes be patronizing by trying to build our own bridges that unite the divisions. Some of you of color may have been here. You may have been a part of people having, who you've been patronized by somebody who thought they were or acted like they were trying to reach out to you. But the very way that they did it was something that said to you, you're sort of a project that I'm sort of a a hope for. I'm here to help you. The way that we bridge the divisions can sometimes be, we say, well, let's try to find our our limited common ground. Let's try to find the the one little circle of ground that we can agree on. And we'll we'll start there, we'll just base there. That doesn't actually create unity. It just creates an interest group that happens to like the same thing. And then at the end of the day, you go back to your own comfortable place or your own comfortable group. The problem with building bridges is that it's, it's temporary and it's limited by nature. Bridges break down. They only unite us at one part. If you tried to, if you tried to get from here to the beach, you understand that bridges are constricting as well. There's only a few places you can actually get across the waterway and the traffic constricts there in the summer. But the gospel of Jesus heals our divisions by first of all by going deeper than the bridges that we try to build across our divisions the gospel goes deeper because it tells us first of all why those divisions exist it tells us those divisions exist because our hearts are separated from christ and therefore because of that it brings a separation between us it's not just between like different races or different generations but it's between all of us Haven't all of us experienced times, like profound times in our lives or our underlying like fear below every other thought in our lives that says you are different from and you are separated from every other person in the world and nobody actually knows you or understands you. So therefore we can't really trust anybody else around us because we really believe that to be the case. 
But if we really, really at a heart level believe and understand and experience that God loves me with an unconditional love and he saw me in absolutely my worst state whenever I was not only in a bad state, but I was in a rebellious state going as far away from him as he could possibly get. And he came after me and loved me with an unconditional love. Then from that place, I can love people unconditionally. The gospel shows us, tells us why the divisions exist and it shows us how they can be healed by the unconditional love and grace of God that is shown to us in the cross. And that brings, the gospel brings, Jesus brings a profoundly deep humility and a profoundly deep worth to each person. And isn't that what we need in order to unite us and to cross, to, to cross those divisions and heal those divisions between each other? Is if, Think about if every single one of us in this room really were profoundly humble and profoundly had a profound sense of our profound worth as a person, then we can get somewhere with people who look and act different than us. The gospel raises the lowly and it brings down those who are a couple pegs too high. But it doesn't bring us down. It raises us in the great worth that you are made in the image of God and Christ Jesus died for you. So therefore your life is invaluable. And lastly, the gospel goes deeper by showing us why the divisions exist, how they can be healed, and then it reveals our own heart. It shows me where I have been placing worth and value on my intelligence, my race, my background, my anything other than Christ alone. And it confronts my own heart and deals with the deepest problem that causes our division. And that is the sinful human heart. And here's why this is important. Because the gospel digs deeper to deal with our, the, the issues of our divisions than any other answer that we try to throw at it. But it also aims higher. Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10. issue of bridging the divide, bridging the divisions, is not just something that's ancillary to God. Because look at how it ends. Look at how this creation ends and the picture that God gives us of the payoff at the end of it all. Verse 9 of chapter 5. 
And they, as the elders and the incredible creatures that are before the throne of God in heaven, and they sang a new song saying. So this is the song of heaven at the summation of all things. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. They're singing to Jesus. For, this is why you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, Jesus. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God, right? That's what we were seeing in Ephesians. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 7. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what heaven is going to look like. And God has called his church to have a little slice of this today so that people could see it and see how worthy he is. And we would give people a preview of that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.